think as as long as animals are farmed for food or fibre, then it's the RSPCA's role to make sure that we can improve their welfare. Hello and welcome to RSPCA Australia's Humane Food Podcast Series. My name is Brian Daly and today I'll be talking with Hope Bertram, the Humane Food Manager at RSPCA, about how they're working to improve the living conditions for farm animals in Australia. Welcome to the podcast, Hope. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. So, Hope, what are we actually talking about when we use that term, humane food? Sure. Yeah, so um, sometimes I do get a bit of a a perplexed look when I I say that's my role. So, yeah, we work – the RSPCA works a lot with um, improving farm animal welfare. So we have a number of different programs where – we create solutions for uh, practical solutions for, for either farmers to, to farm to better standards or for consumers to, to choose a, a more ethically farmed product. Mm-hmm. So humane foods kind of, I guess, the culmination of all of that. And it's about offering uh, consumers something that yeah, is going above and beyond what the legal requirements are in Australia. So we have a few different programs, um, one being the approved farming scheme. So that's our own independent set of standards for farming. Mm-hmm. So farming layer hens for producing eggs or farming pigs for RSPCA approved pork. Uh, we also we have a, a program called Choose Wisely, which is reminding people about the food they eat out of home. So when they're eating out at cafes and restaurants to make sure they think about what's on the menu. And if if the eggs don't say anything, they just say eggs, then maybe ask um, at the restaurant, are they, are they cage or are they cage free? And, and choose the cage free option. So humane food, it's coming back, I guess, to the RSPCA's position around farming animals for food or fibre. And while that continues in Australia, that's our role to to improve the welfare of, of Australia's farm animals. Now, a lot of people would associate RSPCA with pets, with cats and dogs, but the RSPCA has actually been looking after farm animals for, well, as long as it's been around. Is that right? Essentially, yeah, yeah. it is. Um, yeah, certainly Australians do associate the RSPCA with our work with companion animals and, and cats and dogs, probably best known for our work with shelters and, and adopting animals out. Yeah. But yeah, historically, the RSPCA actually started in Victoria, improving the welfare of working horses and, and farm animals. So you had a long history in, uh, in looking after farm animals. And when we're talking about welfare of those farm animals, what what sort of things are we talking about? Well, I guess the RSPCA's position on farm animals is really about giving animals a better quality of life, so catering for their needs. We don't necessarily think the law goes far enough for farm animals, so Mm. what might be acceptable for for farm animals isn't acceptable for for cats and dogs. So, you know, in the absence of of better legislation and and legal requirements for farming and and farm animals, we've got, I guess, a lot of practical solutions to to improve their welfare on the ground today. Mm. So it's about uh, looking at the welfare of the animals in conventional systems and saying, how can this be improved yeah, so there's a number of different farming systems where the RSPCA doesn't believe they cater for the animals' needs. So yes. there might be the argument there that the animals may be healthy, but welfare goes you know, far more than just health. It's really about catering for you know, those really basic behavioural behavioral needs. You know, an example of that could be you know, that a layer hen likes to lay her eggs in a nest. So in a cage system, they, they can't lay their eggs in a nest. Yes. And they also like to, to do things like dust bathing. So that's where they're, you know, getting a bit 
deep down into a bit of dirt and, and they do that to, you know, clean their feathers, preen themselves and they can't do that in a cage. And, you know, you see some pretty shocking images of it's called sham dust bathing where hens in cages are chronically frustrated because they're they're trying to do this behaviour and they can't. Mm. So there are concerns with with some production systems in Australia, but then there's also, you know, there are a host of, of production systems out there that are looking to change and well to go above and beyond just health and and what what do those animals need to have a good life? Yes, because that's what as consumers we we'd like to think that the the old McDonald's farm image is something we we have when we go to the supermarket, but it's not obviously the case in the really intensive systems. You don't see a, a sow stall in a old McDonald's farm, for instance. But yeah, yeah. So. yeah. We, we certainly do have that. We have that sort of picture in our mind and maybe it's this boutique, bespoke, idyllic system with lots of different species. You know, we've got some cows over here and, you know, this mm. one's producing milk and we've got some layer hens. Farming in Australia, you know, has certainly become more industrialised, more intensified. Mm. The RSPCA has developed um, farming standards to improve the welfare of some of those more intensively farmed species. So where we where we know there are large numbers of animals and we can make in- incremental improvement to their welfare, that's why we're focused on, you know, pigs, layer hens, meat chickens, yes. as, as an example. But, th- but there's also a host of other species we, we may like to, to work with in the future where we can also make improvements to their welfare. Because obviously you don't set the laws, but you can create standards to help improve the conditions. Yeah, so so there are basic legal requirements that, that need to be met. Um, but the RSPCA certainly yeah doesn't necessarily agree with, with those minimum requirements and we think a lot more could be done to improve their welfare. So we've, we've established our own program called the Approved Farming Scheme, which actually sets standards. And those standards cover a whole host of factors that impact animal welfare of, of farm animals and, and different species. And then producers, farmers can volunteer to, to participate in that program and, and go above and beyond what they're required to do. Do things seem to be improving? I guess uh, there seems to be increasing in purchases of uh, cage-free eggs and, and so forth, but is that consumer sentiment improving the legislation or is it uh, just a matter of farmers, as you say, wanting to adopt standards that are higher than the basic Yeah, look, standards? I would probably say farmers going above and beyond is moving further ahead than, than the law. Mm. So... Things such as the standards and guidelines, which are the, you know, the poultry standards and guidelines have been under review for some time now. And that happens, it should happen every decade. I think it's been sort of around 14 years since the last set of standards and guidelines were developed. So they're the the basic, you know, legal requirements that that producers need to operate to. Mm -hmm. Those standards and guidelines for poultry, they still allow some really, um, I guess, miserable conditions for, for hens. So they still allow hens to be kept in barren battery cages, which, you know, is the plight of of 11 million hens in Australia today. So I think what we are seeing is a shift in a number of sectors. I think we're seeing a shift in businesses turning their back to to that kind of production system and knowing that, you know, in terms of their social licence to operate and wanting to do the right thing, they need to make decisions to move away from from that, you know, sourcing those products. 
So while they're still legal, we're seeing a greater shift from, I guess, end users and in within the supply chain sort of moving away from certain practices. And, you know, some of those things are the result of companies knowing it's the right thing to do and that they really need to meet consumers' expectations who not only expect that the business they're, they're purchasing from is making an ethical choice, but also it gives the consumer the ability to, to also purchase a, a better product for, for welfare as well. You talk about that supply chain there and, and the businesses, like 11 million hens in cages. For most of us that are uh, buying cage free eggs in the supermarket, that's still a large number because that's like over half the hens in Australia, is that right? Yeah. Um, so to us, it's it's um, it seems like a, a large number, but uh, can you explain where those eggs go, the cage eggs go, because, you know, the increasing purchasing we have of cage-free in supermarkets would suggest that, well, who's buying these eggs? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, essentially in Australia today we've got around 11 million hens in cages and I I think the figure is something around 18, 18 and a half million hens in Australia. So of those remaining hens, they would be in a cage-free system. So it could be in a barn or it could be in a barn with access to the outdoors, which mm-hmm. which is also known as free range. So yeah, it's a good question. Where are all these cage eggs going? We've seen a pretty phenomenal shift in the last five years in particular of businesses turning their back on cage eggs. So making commitments to phase out the use of cage eggs. So the likes of Subway, McDonald's, Hungry Jack's, major food service companies have switched yeah. and they don't use any um, cage eggs in their whole whole eggs in their business. That's fantastic. The, um, the retailers have also made pretty phenomenal commitments. So the likes of Coles won't sell cage eggs either as shell eggs or in their own branded products by 2023. And when you say in their own branded products? Yeah, yep, baked goods, mayonnaise, um, eggs, often a hidden ingredient that, yeah, yeah we don't, don't think about. So besides just shell eggs, so, you know, cartons of eggs, we've got eggs as ingredient in a variety of products mm-hmm. and we then have eggs going into the food service industry, so cafes, restaurants. So, yeah, we're seeing less caged shell eggs on the shelf. But what's just as important, I think, when people are making sure they buy cage-free eggs at the supermarket is that they're also thinking about what eggs are in the products they eat when they're out of home. So when they're out having Sunday brunch, what's where are the eggs from on that eggs benedict and start to ask those questions because that's what's really going to drive change and, and get more hens out of cages. Mm. And so generally speaking, I guess as you're saying, the poultry review is underway, but the, the laws are national or you know, is it a mix of national and state law? Because the RSPCA also has state and a federal body as well. And how does that work? Sure. So in terms of the standards and guidelines, so they are a national set of standards and guidelines, but they then get adopted by each of the states and territories. So when those standards and guidelines, which are under review and when they get published, they will go to each of the state and territory agriculture ministers to be either adopted or perhaps, you know, they might make some amendments for for their state. Mm -hmm. So... There is the ability, I think, for some states who want to take a you know a firm stand on improving animal welfare to look at what they can do within their state. I think an example of that would be the ACT, don't allow hens to be farmed in, in battery cages in the okay. ACT. So that's, that's a territory that has certainly gone above and beyond what the legal requirements are 
nationally. Mm-hmm. And the positive thing we did see, um, Canberra only has one commercial size layer hen farm and it has converted from a cage system to a barn system, which is a good outcome for, for hens. So it will be interesting to see what state-based ministers do with, with those standards and what the RSPCA has really been pushing for is a phase out of, of cage systems. We really want to see a firm date put on uh, cage systems. Firstly, no investment in cages in Australia, but secondly, when will those systems be be wrapped up and and it will actually mean more hens out of cages and in, into different production systems. Mm-hmm. And and other species as well. I mean, we're talking a lot about hens, but uh, you, you look after all farm animals really across the board. Is there for different species uh, different elements of welfare that you look for that you can improve? Yeah, I mean, we do spend a lot of our time talking about hens because. You know, there are still so many hens confined to cages and I think you could argue that 11 million hens in cages is the biggest animal welfare issue in Australia today. Um, I think Australia, without putting a firm date on phasing out cages from a government level, we are lagging behind the rest of the world. I mean, other other countries have mandated phase-outs of, of that type of farming system. But, yeah, there, there's a whole host of other welfare issues with, with other species. And the RSPCA, we do spend a lot of time working on, on improving welfare of other species. An example of that would be the intensive confinement of pigs and how pigs are farmed in Australia. Mm. There's been some really positive industry developments with, with pig farming in Australia, but there's still a long way to go with mm. looking at different farming techniques and general husbandry and, you know, things they do day to day to pigs that we wouldn't think is, is humane. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's nice to hear that there's there's a bit of improvement going on within the industry there as well. So, And it, do you find with consumers wanting to know more about where their food comes from that that helps improve the, the lives of these animals or increase the impetus for farmers to, to raise the standards? Yeah, look, I think um, there's no doubt that more consumers are interested in where their food comes from. I think there's still variables around how much people want to know yes. and, and there's probably a fine line between perhaps knowing too too much. Um, but I think it is really important that people have more of a connection about food and there's lots of things that, uh, that have probably influenced that over the last few years, even sort of dating back to the global financial crisis and and people having, you know, less disposable income, people sort of cooking more, mm. the rise of shows like MasterChef, mm. you know, people wanting to, you know, master their signature dish. And, and I think, you know, that's been going on for more than a decade, that show, which, uh, you know, I think does show that people are interested in, in cooking and understanding a bit more about the food sort of supply chain. It's a really interesting time and, and you know, our role at the RSPCA is, is to try to give people as much information as as we can and, and what they take from that. You know, some people will certainly want more information and we're always keen to to um, provide that where we can so they can actually make a, an informed choice. Yeah. As you say, it's, it's, it's often a, a case because we are so removed from the process and we, we don't like to talk about you know the end stages of the meat production so much um and i guess that brings up the point of uh, the term humane food might sound like a, a bit of an oxymoron to some people but i guess with well over 80 percent of australians eating meat regularly it's a reality that's not going anywhere soon so uh we need to look at 
ways that these animals can have the best life possible. Is that is that the way you, you look at it from the RSPCA? Yeah, I mean, I think as, as long as animals are farmed for food or fibre, then it's the RSPCA's role to make sure that we can improve their welfare. Mm. We are seeing an increase in vegetarianism, in veganism. However, we're also seeing an increase in meat consumption. From yeah. So, you know, with the average Australian eating 45 kilos of, of chicken meat a year, it's a pretty mind-blowing number. Yes. I mean, we, we certainly, we're not encouraging meat consumption, but we're wanting to create a solution that does improve welfare because in the absence of, of better laws, farming will continue and and we want to do our best to be able to, to raise the bar incrementally for, for farm animals. Yeah, so it's quite a pragmatic approach you take that says this is happening right now and there are animals, well, millions of animals in the system that you obviously need to look out for. Yeah, I mean, animals will continue to be farmed and, you know, we can't sit back just waiting for, you know, that that day when potentially systems like battery cages might be phased out. I mean, we really want to create a practical solution to to improve farm animal welfare. It's to give farmers who want to go above and beyond a point of differentiation and then it's to to give consumers a you know a, a product that they can trust that it does tick the box for animal welfare. So, you know, it's a little bit of a, a probably a bit of a minefield in terms of labelling and you know the egg aisle is a cons- is a confusing place. Uh, yes. um, so we want to be able to create um, a solution for consumers wanting to to make a good choice as well. Yes, and I guess there the the, the basic choice is to choose the cage free eggs. That's the the most basic step consumers can make to make it help the change. Yeah. So um, cage-free is, is certainly better than, than buying a cage product. Mm. Um, I think always remembering cage-free, whether it's at the supermarket or out of home. Mm-hmm. And then next step is, you know, if you want to go above and beyond that, you know, to look for some reputable certification on the product and to, you know, do a little bit of digging around about what those standards mean and, and more importantly, how they're enforced. I mean, it's one thing, I think, to have a standard, but it's another thing to to ensure that it's enforced. Yes, yes, because otherwise the labels would be meaningless. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> now, um, I, I guess, you know, looking back on welfare of, of animals um, and it's something that really people started talking about globally, you know, about you know 50 years ago, I guess, with the five freedoms, uh, freedom from hunger and thirst, from discomfort, from pain and injury, from and the freedom to express natural behaviours and fear and distress those sorts of things, they, they still very much form the basis of what you look at for uh, assessing the health and well-being of an animal. That, that's where you look for making sure all those five freedoms are, are covered. I think, um, yeah, first point of call is the five freedoms and I guess the work we do is certainly underpinned by the, the five freedoms. I think in, in developing animal welfare standards and, and standards under the approved farming scheme, the five freedoms is a starting point and then there's a whole host of things that we consider in terms of what those standards mean. So some of those things could be RSPCA Australia policy, some of them could be the latest latest science on the particular production system or a particular species that we're looking at. What are the codes of practice? So what's what's legal and then where do we want to get to? And then you know, what's what's happening on the ground in Australia today. So we, we want to create solutions that are achievable but actually uh, make a difference mm-hmm. and create standards that, you know, encourage participation 
rather than making, I guess, the bar so high that they're they're not achievable and, and commercially, you know, farmers can't make it work. So it's a bit of a balancing act, but, yeah, certainly um, underpinned by the five freedoms. Yeah. And live exports have been another hot topic in animal welfare that's really struck a chord with the community. How, how do you, how does the RSPCA go about working to implement change in these areas? As we said, you, you can't make the legislation, but you you can have a voice, obviously, a very well-respected voice in in talking about these issues? You know, we have multiple approaches. A lot of people you probably don't know or, you know, aren't exposed to sort of the behind-the-scenes work that can can go on for years. So the conversations with with industry and peak body groups and um, sitting down at the the table pushing for, for improvements. Talking about these welfare issues in a public space is also really important. So we know that more consumers are interested in in farm animal welfare. You know, people are absolutely shocked and appalled at at some of those conditions, and not only in relation to live cattle exports to Indonesia, but also more recently the the information in relation to to live exports of of sheep. Yes. A similar thing in terms of you know um, talking around the chronic frustration of of hens in cages. So people. People in Australia don't accept that this this should be common practice and it still remains common practice today. So one of the solutions is also around trying to, I guess, create that voice for consumers. So we know people want to write to, you know, as part of the standards and guidelines process, they want to provide feedback and be part of the consultation process to say, I, as, as an Australian and, and a purchaser of eggs, I, you know, I don't accept that production system and I want the government to do something about it. And there's been a lot that have voiced their opinion. On yeah. <laughs> so it's been, you know, it's really, it's, it's phenomenal. So I think over 150,000, I believe, submissions to that public consultation process. So one of the most, one of the biggest reactions to, to any public consultation in Australia's history. And I think that's just evidence of, you know, people having such a strong view on this. The other, you know, the other part of that is, yeah, is creating, I guess, an opportunity for people to vote with their wallet, vote for animal welfare and and support a, a more humanely farmed product. So that's happening today and, and we'll continue to, to create that opportunity for not only farmers wanting to raise the bar but consumers wanting to support it too. So you can see that there has been some improvements over the last, say, 20 years, but there's obviously still some work to do. <laughs> yeah, there's still lots of work to do, but I think, you know, since we created the approved farming scheme around 22 years ago, we've now got six different sets of standards under the the scheme for different species. And the the adoption of those standards across those different industries that participate and, and the, the retail channels that support the program as well, we've seen, I think, something like 1.6 billion animals farmed to, to RSPCA standards since we started. So wow. it's, you know, it's it's an amazing number, but obviously a lot more to do and, and we'll keep sort of tracking along to, to improve welfare where we can. Yeah, it's an important area to work in. Well, thanks for that, Hope. And thank you for listening. If you'd like any more information about today's topic, visit the RSPCA Australia website at rspca.org.au. You can also subscribe to the series at the website or at all the usual podcast suspects. I'm Brian Daly and I look forward to your company next time on the RSPCA Australia Humane Food Podcast. Podcast.